listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Have you got your Bible turned to James chapter 3? James chapter 3, we're going to be beginning in verse 13. James 3. Y'all good? You awake? All right. James 3, verse 13. He says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Uh, that's a fun question. Like, James is writing to real people, right? So that it's a genuine question. And this idea of, of me tossing that out there this morning, or in maybe in your Sunday school class, your teacher asking you, Hey, who? Who, who's wise? If you, if you have a lot of wisdom, you have a lot of understanding, I want you to raise your hand. I feel like that's a funny question because I feel like all of us maybe wouldn't know what to do. Like you might would want to think like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little wise. Maybe I'm wise, like, but I don't, I don't want to be prideful. It's like, right? Like you might would kind of want to do this with your hand. You're, you're not sure how to answer that. I think I'm wise. I think I have understanding. Some of you may would say, oh, for sure. I know I'm wise. Some of you would say, I don't even know what that means. It's an interesting question. Who among you is wise? Who among you has understanding. First of all, let's think about what wisdom is. Wisdom is, is it's skill, it's insight into, know how, or into knowing how to live a life that pleases the Lord. So more specifically, that's what godly wisdom is. It's skill, it's insight, understanding regarding how to live a life that pleases the Lord. That, that's godly wisdom. You could even like I think there's part of that, it's, it's how to live a life that is successful in the Lord's eyes. So, so key there, in the Lord's eyes. It's not how to live a life and be rich and famous, but no, to live a life that, that the Lord says, man, that, that's a good life. Godly wisdom. He says, who among you has, has wisdom, has understanding? I love what uh, Tim Keller, the way he describes wisdom. It's, it's knowing what to do in those life situations where there's not a clear biblical command on what to do, which he says, that's probably about 80% of the situations we find ourselves in. Like, wouldn't it be nice if for every question, every decision that you face in life, if you could just go to the Bible and find a verse that says, yes, you should take that job at CVS or whatever. Like, but that's not how it works, right? So wisdom is knowing how to, okay, okay, the Bible doesn't specifically say exactly what to do. Like, should I ask that girl out? Or should I go to my, to my grandparents for Thanksgiving? Which normally the answer is yes, right? But like, what should you do? Wisdom is knowing what to do even when the Bible doesn't give you a clear, direct answer on what to do. One of the reasons wisdom is so important is it helps you, this is, this is crucial, it helps you avoid unnecessary brokenness. Is this world broken? Yes. If you're not sure, I'm not sure you're alive, right? This world is broken. It's tainted with sin. But if you have godly wisdom, it helps you avoid unnecessary brokenness. So you can't get out of brokenness it's just it's until heaven. But if you walk in godly wisdom, it helps you avoid going down unnecessary paths with, paths with unnecessary brokenness. There's, there's godly wisdom, and then there's worldly wisdom. So there's what God tells us to do, what is wise, but then there's 
the world's perspectives, attitudes, behaviors, habits, thoughts on how to live a successful life. And just for clarity's sake, I think we're all on the same page here, but God's idea of wisdom and the world's idea of wisdom contradict each other, right? They're, they're actually opposed to each other. So when he says, who among you is wise? Who among you has understanding? He's talking about godly wisdom. So you may raise your oh, I have worldly wisdom. No, that, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for godly wisdom. Who among you has that? I, I think it's so important. Keep kind of fleshing this out as we go through James, but it's, it's critical to not miss this. He's not talking about how to live a good enough life so that God will love you. You can go to heaven. And no, he's saying because you've been accepted by grace through faith in Christ, you should live, want to live a life that pleases him. And Lauren and I were talking with some friends recently who um, belong to a different faith. They're, they're, they're not believers. And they were talking about um, their religion. And they said, you know, we, we believe our book teaches us that there are two angels and that one is keeping track of the good things you do. And one angel is keeping track of the bad things you do. And uh, when you are on judgment day, the angels will weigh those records out. And if you were good, you, you get eternity. And if bad, then damnation. And they, they looked at us and said, that's, that's what Christians believe too, right? Which was really cool because it opened up a door for, like, we got to share the gospel with them. But it was interesting. I, I want to follow back up with this couple. We will soon. I think the reason they believe that Christians think that is because so, people, so many people in America that call themselves Christians, that's what they think, right? And I just... Leaning in here. Maybe some of you this morning think that. Maybe you have this idea that, well, if I'm good enough, then I'll go to heaven. Y'all, that's not the gospel. If you believe, well, if I'm just good enough, if my good outweighs my bad, that's how I get to heaven. Y'all, that's the same thing that Muslim people believe. We want to show them the love of Christ. We want to be friends to them, but that's not the truth. The truth of the gospel is that you could never be good enough to earn your salvation for God. And praise God, I don't have to carry that burden, that weight. Amen? But Jack, my friend Jack and I were talking about it this morning. Like, man, what a burden if every day I had to walk around thinking, I hope I can be good enough. I hope, I hope my good will outweigh my bad. I don't have to live under that burden because Christ bore that burden on the cross for me. He lived the perfect life I could never live. He, he died. He took on my sin, my shame on that cross. Three days later, rose again, offering me forgiveness and grace and mercy. Listen, if you are just stacking up the decks of can I be good enough, you don't know what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is in spite of the fact that my bad might even outweigh my good, God still loves me and accepts me because of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So as James is telling us these things, he's saying, are you wise? He's not saying, so you can go to heaven. He's saying, no, I want you to know what wisdom is because you've been accepted by grace through faith in Christ. So you can live out your desire to live a life pleasing to God. This is not about earning God's love. It's about living in God's love. Y'all with me? So the gospel, knowing Jesus, should lead us to want to love God well, to, to live lives that please him. Wisdom, addressing wisdom, falls right in line with what James has been talking about. Living a life that brings joy to the heart of God. And again, the question this morning is, do you have wisdom? It's important when you're assessing yourself in something that you, you have the right measurement that you're assessing yourself to. Uh, you're doing a diagno diagnosis, right? So um, 
Lauren, my wife, and the, the kiddos, we've been for, we've probably only gone to like four times, but we've started some uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu training. That's right. Don't mess with the Hayes family. <laughs> yeah, people are already laughing. Yeah, real cool, Melissa. <laughs> and um, uh, I guess it was about three weeks ago, we came back from our training, and which I love that when you, your first time you go, they, they give you a gi, whatever, and uh, and they, they put on a white belt, and literally as they're putting on the belt, they say, this represents that you know nothing. I'm like, real cool, guys. I put on the white belt. So we've learned, learned a few things. But we, uh, we get home a couple weeks ago one night, and Lauren's like, we're like, hey, let's practice these moves with each other. So uh, it was a move where you're supposed to like um, get the bad guy off of you, right? And so Lauren lays down. I sit down on top of her like I'm the bad guy. And she immediately goes, ow, ow. <laughs> And she's I'm like, what is it? She's like, oh, this is just way more painful than when a four-year-old sits on top of you. <laughs> normally, at, when we're at class, that we are partnered up with our four-year-olds. I'm normally with Haddon. She's with Carolina Tate. And we're, we're kind of coaching them, practicing with them. But it was funny in that moment, we realized, can we think we've been learning some things about jujitsu? But in reality, we've only been practicing against four-year-olds. <laughs> like, so Lauren was like saying, like, um, hopefully any attacker will be four years old or smaller, right? Like, which at, at this point, luckily, that's how it's gone so far. Those are our attackers, four-year-olds. <laughs> but that, that's a terrible measurement. Like, if we think, we, we know jujitsu because we've gone to four classes and we can beat up four-year-olds. Not that we beat them up, you know what I mean? Um, man, like, that, that, we don't actually know jujitsu, right? It's a terrible standard. How many of us this morning... We, we think we have wisdom. We think we have life figured out. We think we know how things work and how to navigate life. But in reality, we're just comparing ourselves to the wisdom of the world. What James is gonna do, I love this passage, it's so cool. He gives us really two portraits, a portrait of worldly wisdom and a portrait of godly wisdom. And as he paints these portraits, I think that, the ask, the challenge is to step back as a believer and look at which portrait more resembles me. Do I have worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Oh, what do those portraits look like? James 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. By the way, I, I should be clear. He's writing this as if, it's like he asked verse 13, who among you is wise? And if you raised your hand, oh, that's me. Okay, well, let me, let me explain some things to you. By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So first thing we see about these portraits, and we're going to paint them both at the same time, is this. Number one, worldly wisdom talks, godly wisdom walks. Worldly wisdom talks, godly wisdom walks. So worldly wisdom likes to just 
talk about how much you know, likes to have a lot of facts. Maybe you have a lot of education, so you like to spit off all these random facts or things that you know or what things you've done. You like to one-up people with your experience. Worldly wisdom talks. But he says, if all it does is talk and you don't actually walk out by good conduct, your wisdom, he says, you're boasting and denying the truth. Worldly wisdom talks, godly wisdom walks. He says, if you have wisdom, you should show it by your good conduct. He says in verse 13, by your behavior, by your way of life, you should show it. And he says, he uses the word works. So he does that. he's not talking about works as in works righteousness, earning your way to God. No, we, no, that's not the gospel. No, works as in working out your faith. So what God works in you, you should be working that out. By, his, by your good conduct, you should show that your works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. See, the, if you have godly wisdom, you actually put into practice what God is teaching you. It's one thing to be able to, to spit out rapid fire, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, pain. Some of y'all even know a song about it. It's so cool, right? Like you memorize it through a song, that's great. But what's more important, not just that you have them memorized, that's a great start, but is that you actually depend on the Holy Spirit for Him to empower you to, to to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Just because you can spit them out verbally doesn't mean you actually have the wisdom of walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Wisdom not lived out reveals that wisdom is not within. You don't show your wisdom through your words. You show it through your, your works, your, your lifestyle. So friend, if you raise your hand, yeah, I think I'm wise but it's only based on what you say and not how you live it out. He says, that's more of a portrait of worldly wisdom, not of, not of godly wisdom. What's the second thing we see about this portrait? Worldly wisdom covets, but godly wisdom is content. Worldly wisdom covets, but godly wisdom is content. He says, verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. And then again, down in verse 16, he says, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. So a, a characteristic of, of worldly wisdom is bitter envy, jealousy. I've got to have what other people have. I want their status. I want their possessions. I want their lifestyle. I wish my family was like theirs. I wish I had their looks. I wish I had their promotion. That's a worldly idea is driven by envy. Godly wisdom is content. Webster's 1828 version defines contentment as this, being content as this. Tell me if this sounds like something we could all use in our lives. Rest or quietness of the mind in the present condition. Satisfaction, which holds the mind in peace. Contentment is restraining complaint, opposition, or further desire, and often implies a moderate degree of happiness. It's not shaken by want. Contentment. Worldly wisdom drives you to be the victim. Oh, man, I, I did the thing 
my way, I should have got that promotion. I should have had that relationship. I should have got that recognition. Oh, why, why can't that be me? I, I've got things figured out. If, if the boss would talk to me about what I understand, we, we, I could point in the right direction. Godly wisdom is content. Not that you're just lazy and like, I don't care about anything. <laughs> you're content in who you are in Christ and you recognize, as James says earlier in James chapter one, that every good thing comes from above. I can rest, I can be content, I can be at peace knowing that my heavenly father sees me and will take care of me. Which portrait more resembles you? When you're scrolling on social media, what is stirring in your heart? Is it covet or to be content? Which portrait resembles you? It's not just selfish, excuse me, it's not just bitter envy The third thing he points out in this portrait of worldly wisdom is selfish ambition. Again, verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Number three, worldly wisdom is selfish. Godly wisdom is selfless. Worldly wisdom is selfish. Godly wisdom is selfless. So if if your idea of wisdom, the decisions you make, the things you pursue in life, the way you view life, if your wisdom is driven by selfish desires, that's not godly wisdom. That's just the ways of this world, always seeking to put me first. Godly wisdom is to be selfless. Philippians 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. So it's just not about me. It's not about what I can get. No, in humility, recognizing life is not all about me. I should count other people as more significant than myself. Again, which portrait resembles you? Is it, is it selfishness or selflessness? What is driving your desires? More importantly, what is driving your, your attitudes, your, your actions, your behaviors, your course in life? Is it to make much of yourself or to make much of Jesus and be a blessing to others? That was sometimes, not always, but sometimes the the problem with God's people in the Old Testament is is they would forget they were called, they were blessed to be a what? A blessing. Yeah, it wasn't all about them. No, it was, I'm gonna bless you to be a light, be a blessing to the nations. Selfish or selfless? Uh, I've used this before, but it's a, a metaphor from Jim Collins. Do you, do you have the window or the mirror in front of you? See, the worldly wisdom, selfishness, always puts up the mirror. This, how does this decision, how does this choice affect me? Godly wisdom puts up, puts up the, the window, not, not, at, um, complete, not to completely ignore what's going on in your life, but it puts up the window and says, how is this going to impact the people around me? How is it going to be a blessing to the people in my life? This decision is not just about me. It's about God's kingdom. Which portrait looks like you? Godly wisdom or worldly wisdom? A fourth characteristic of these portraits. Worldly wisdom is fickle. Godly wisdom is faithful. Worldly wisdom is fickle. Godly wisdom is faithful. Where am I getting that? 
He says, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. It's, it's unwavering. This is the same word he used back in chapter one uh, when he's talked about someone, uh, when, they, when they are doubting God, they're double-minded, they're unstable in all their ways. So worldly wisdom leads you to doubt God, to doubt that he knows what he's doing and to trust in yourself. Again, it's selfish. You, you trust in yourself. And so, of course, it's fickle. It's unstable because, God, I don't really trust if you're good, if you're faithful, if you're gonna see me through this. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do things my way and it, it makes you unstable. You're the opposite of, of godly wisdom. It says it's unwavering. So rather than being unstable and unsure, and I, I kind of trust God, I, I kind of don't. So sometimes I'm going to follow God, sometimes I'm not. No, godly wisdom is unwavering in that I'm setting a course. I, I'm going to be impartial, non-judgmental to what my situation is. No matter what the situation is, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be unwavering in my approach to life. Are you fickle or are you faithful? You know, I think that's a great thing about that, that portrait, that characteristic of the portraits is a great way to assess yourself because the ways of the world are always changing, right? Like, you know, being a millennial, I thought skinny jeans were in, but apparently skinny jeans are on the way out, right? Like, what's cool today is not cool tomorrow. So if you're following the ways of the world, the ideas of the world, worldly wisdom, your, your trajectory in life is always going to be doing this because <laughs> it's always changing. It's fickle. Does your life, do your decisions reflect an unwavering, steady course, eyes fixed on God and what he tells you, trusting him? Or, or is it, I don't know, I just... One day I go this way, one day I go that way. Are you fickle? Are you faithful? Isn't it, like, it shouldn't be surprising that when we have godly, excuse me, uh, worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, if, we're, if we are inundated with worldly wisdom and we think we're wise, no wonder we're, we're walking in to unnecessary brokenness because we're just following the patterns of, of this world. leads me to the fifth characteristic of this portrait. It jumps off the pages to me. It said, uh, I want to say it this way. Worldly wisdom, number five, worldly wisdom is self-led. Godly wisdom is spirit-led. Listen to what he says about worldly wisdom. He says, verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So it, it doesn't come down from above. Worldly wisdom doesn't. But instead, it's, it's earthly. So it's just like the ways of this world. It's just what, what, is, uh, what makes sense to just the average human being. Okay, that must be what, what, it, what wisdom is. It's earthly. It's unspiritual, meaning it's driven by, your, by just your own thoughts and your own desires. It's driven by what's on your mind that day or what's on your heart that day. It's unspiritual and it's even demonic. 
That's worldly wisdom. It's self-led and, and even influenced by demons versus the wisdom that comes down from above. Proverbs 2, 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where are you looking for wisdom? Are you looking in or are you looking up? Are you looking to, I can figure this out on my own. I've got this. I'm pretty smart. Or are you looking, God, I need your help. Would you guide me? Would you direct me? Would you lead me? Is your wisdom, is it selfish and self-led or is it, is it selfless and spirit-led? I would say, if you're not praying and seeking God's wisdom somewhat regularly, then you can bet you're walking in worldly wisdom, not godly wisdom. Because godly wisdom is built on, it's founded on this, this, this idea that I need God's help. It begins with the fear of the Lord, of awe of God, of who he is. Is it self-led or spirit-led? What wisdom do you have? And here's the reality. Being self-led never works out well, right? Like doing things on your own, according to your own wisdom, that never goes well. Here's our sixth point. Worldly wisdom cultivates chaos. Godly wisdom cultivates peace. Worldly wisdom cultivates chaos, disorder, confusion, instability, but godly wisdom cultivates peace. He says, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Disorder. What, what does your life look like? Is it all in disarray and disorder and chaos, or, or is it in peace? When you walk in worldly wisdom, you're going to cultivate chaos. When you walk in godly wisdom, you're going to cultivate peace. Again, it's, it's self-led, create chaos, or spirit-led, create peace in your life. And, and definitely within yourself, but he's, I think, primarily talking about relational peace. What does that look like? He says in verse 17, this person is peace, bless you, they're peace-loving. The person who's walking in godly wisdom, they love peace. I'm not talking about being a bunch of hippies, but they love, they have the desire to create peace in relationships. Do you know that we're to stand on truth, but not just for the sake of being jerks? We're to stand on truth and to do it in love. If you're driven by godly wisdom, you're going to be peace-loving. He says, you're going to be gentle. You're going to be, verse 17, you're going to be compliant. That is, that you're open to reason. You have a willingness to agree with others. So we're going to stand on truth, but also be open or, and be open to the idea that some people may have a different perspective on things. We're not going to let go of the truth, but we're going to be willing to talk with them, willing to reason with them willing to listen to them as to bring them to the truth of the gospel. Gentle, compliant, full of mercy. To go back to verse uh, 13, it says that your work should be done in gentleness. Do you see, being wise is about loving people well. How many of us ourselves or we know people who have this air about them. They think they're wise. They think they know it all, but, but they run people over. Or 
They, they, they know a lot of stuff, but they could care less about people. They may have worldly wisdom, but that's not godly wisdom. How could you say you have godly wisdom, wisdom from God, but then not treat people like Jesus? No, if you have godly wisdom, it will manifest itself by loving people like Jesus, by, by being compassionate and kind and full of mercy and gentle without pretense. So there's not this, this fake hypocritical, no, it's a genuine, sincere love for God that manifests itself in love for people. And I just want to encourage you, by the way, there's a lot of you, I think God's word always challenges, but it also encourages. Some of you this morning have maybe been discouraged, like, man, I don't think I'm wise. I don't know anything. I think James could be encouraging you this morning. Hey, you may not think you know a ton, but if you're loving people well and seeking God's direction for your life, you may be wiser than you think. <laughs> Which portrait are you? Cultivating chaos or cultivating peace? Hey, just on that note, not to be in your business and stuff, but like with Thanksgiving coming up, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that some of you maybe are at odds with some family members. Could be, <laughs> good chance you have an opportunity to walk in godly wisdom by seeking to cultivate peace this week. Or you can dig your heels in, refuse to have a conversation, refuse to approach the, the, the difficult conversation and walk in worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom creates chaos, godly wisdom creates, cultivates peace. Which one, which one do you wanna walk in this week? One final portrait, I think gives this, excuse me, characteristic of this portrait gives us a lot of clarity. Vert number seven, it's this. Worldly wisdom produces rot. Godly wisdom produces righteousness. Rot versus righteousness. I love verses 16 and 17. He says, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice sinful rot. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. So it's full of good fruits in verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So here's a little side note there, but it's really cool. Verse 18, as you cultivate peace, you're actually sowing the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness, again, righteousness is living a life that brings joy to the heart of God. So here's what's really cool. As I plant peace, I cultivate, I work on planting peace in my life and in my relationships, that actually produces not just peace, it produces other fruits of righteousness. So as I work on peace, it'd be like if I planted an apple tree, and I not only got apples, but I also got oranges and some blueberries sprang up from the ground too. What, right? All kinds of fruit. When you work on peace in your relationships and you pursue godly wisdom and peace, love peace and pursue mercy and kindness in your relationships, it actually produces not just peace in your relationships and in your life, but also other fruits of the Spirit. You're producing rot or righteousness. When you walk in worldly wisdom, when you do things your way, it's gonna produce sin. When you do things God's way, it's gonna produce righteousness. It makes sense, it's, it's obvious, right? When you, when you follow God, when you obey, obey God, when you pursue His ways, to walk in His ways, 
Of course, he produces in you a life that brings joy to him, a a life that reflects the life of Jesus. I think it's worth noting one more thing about that. He says it's first pure. We don't pursue peace at the expense of purity. So we're going to walk in peace, want to love people well as part of godly wisdom, but we're going to cling to purity. Following Jesus, loving people well, doesn't demand that you throw out your morality. If you think loving people well, I'm going to have to give up some of what the Bible says, then you're actually not loving people well. He says purity and loving peace, loving people well can go hand in hand. The question is, James is begging of us this morning, is which portrait do you look like? Worldly wisdom, which is, it just talks, it covets, it's selfish, it's fickle, it's self-led, it creates chaos and it produces rot. Or does godly wisdom look more like what you have, which is, It actually walks out wisdom. It's content. It's selfless. It's faithful. It's spirit-led. It cultivates peace. It produces righteousness. Which kind of wisdom do you have this morning? Again, James is not just wanting us to look and go, man, I think that's me. I'm a loser. No, he's, he's calling us to action. And he already did it back in chapter one. He says, if you lack wisdom, you should what? Do you remember chapter one, verse five? You should ask God. If you realize this morning, man, I just have worldly wisdom. I've been doing things my way. I've been pursuing my own desires. I've been thinking I have life figured out. If that's where you're at and you wanna instead have godly wisdom, live a life that brings joy to the heart of God. You wanna avoid some of the unnecessary brokenness of this life. He says, ask him, ask him and you shall what? Receive. But there's a humility that comes with that of recognizing the, world, the world's wisdom doing things my way is not working. God, I need your help. Wisdom, true wisdom only comes from you. See, worldly wisdom is just a facade. It's not actually wisdom. It's just a counterfeit. But moving to godly wisdom requires you to be humble and say, God, I need your help. I'm making a mess of things on my own. Jesus, would you guide me? Would you lead me? Would you direct me? Ask him for wisdom. Friend, where do you need wisdom in your life this morning? God wants to direct you. He wants to give you godly wisdom. If you'll humbly come and say, God, I need your help. And you'll trust that his ways are better. God, God, here's my heart because I, I trust that your ways are better. The the ways of the world, the wisdom of the world can can be kind of enticing. It's pretty deceptive. I want to show you two quick pictures as I end this morning. If you guys will put those up, the first one. This is a picture. I thought the C was in focus on my phone, but clearly it is not. Anyways... This is a picture of the Dead Sea, way out there, from En Gedi. So En Gedi, uh, it's a place where David hid from Saul. And I believe a lot of Psalms were written in this place. 
And we were on our trip a few weeks ago and, and talking about it. We were wondering how many people maybe came from the West, came over the, the Judean hills and saw this for the first time and thought, oh, there's water there. Oh, sorry, my mic's getting caught on something. <laughs> there's water there. There's life there. there. There's sustenance there. And made their way to the Dead Sea only to find that it's what? And dead. <laughs> yeah, salty's good too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there's literally no life in the Dead Sea. Like if you're, in the, you're floating in the Dead Sea, you don't swim, you put your face under, you will regret it. But if you're swimming in the Dead Sea and you think something bit you, it might've been your friend, but it wasn't a fish. <laughs> like there's nothing living in, in the Dead Sea. And all around the Dead Sea, it's just desert and salt and sand and no life. See, worldly wisdom, it looks good from a distance and we tend to gravitate towards it. Here's the reality. If you're not growing in godly wisdom, you'll gravitate toward worldly wisdom. But you'll only find over and over again that the wisdom of the world leaves you dry and desperate and hopeless. I wanna show you a second picture. This is actually one of the, I guess there's uh, there's several waterfalls at Engedi, one of three, maybe four, somewhere in that region that are fed by, by a fresh spring, living water, so to speak. So around these springs, there's, there's life, there's sustenance. You see, like when you're at the Dead Sea, I didn't, I didn't see any animals, but running around the spring here at Engedi, we saw animals, we saw life, provision. Walking in godly wisdom is about trusting that God will provide you what you need. Even when the, the, the things of the world look tempting and they, they lure you towards them, but it's about trusting, I have what I need in God. It may not always be flashy, but God is faithful and he'll give me the wisdom I need. It's interesting to think about, I can't prove that David wrote Psalm 23 here at this exact location, but it's entirely possible that it's one of the Psalms that was written in Engedi in this region. I wanna close by reading Psalm 23. I think it's a great portrait of what walking in godly wisdom looks like. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Wisdom comes from walking with your shepherd trusting that his ways are better. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up. 
I'm going to give you just a moment right now to be still before your shepherd. Say, Lord, would you give me wisdom? Would you teach me to humbly, to daily look to your face for wisdom and not to the ways of the world? Would you teach me to be dependent on you to sustain me, to guide me, to lead me, to live a life that brings honor to you rather than to live a selfish, chaotic life? If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 